Hello and welcome back to the 16th episode of the Tough Take Podcast. I'm Zach Green. And I'm Luca DeLosta. In today's episode, we do a final NBA Finals review. Review the NBA draft that happened, what, two nights ago now. Talk about some of the NHL awards that were handed out earlier this week. Review or preview the College Baseball World Series final coming up today. It starts. And then talk a little bit about Title IX in sports. Let's get right into it. So let's start it off with the our final NBA Finals review. My first takeaway, Steph Curry, well, he won his first Finals MVP as he was by far the best player on the Warriors throughout the whole playoffs. But I would also like to say, I think Andrew Wiggins could have gotten it. But Jordan Poole, I really want to recognize him. He stepped up a lot in the early games when Curry was battling some injuries to go back all the way to the Denver Nuggets series, which was a long time ago, it feels like. But that's when Jordan Poole really stepped up when Curry was riding the bench in the first couple games. And he's so young, so it's great to see that he's improved already. But the second takeaway was, I mean, Boston, they, they could not hold a lead. And that's what I was saying once we hit a game five areas. The Warriors adjusted to Boston, and the Celtics could never readjust back. And that's, I think, why they lost this series. Our third takeaway, probably the best defender one of the best defenders in the series, Robert Williams. He averaged 2.83 blocks per game. Had a, he had 17 blocks in six games. I mean, and he wasn't even really fully healthy at this point. No, definitely not. So when he's fully healthy and we get that offensive side back of him a little more, I mean, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with. And then the final one is, I mean, it's a given. The Warriors are going to be good next year. And when they get their full team healthy healthy like you have clay thompson off a season after missing two whole years of basketball you have steph curry who gets time to rest up now he was battling some injuries jordan Poole coming off what his third year next year they're gonna be a good team again and talk about james wiseman who didn't even play this season. i know they've done an amazing job drafting and it's no surprise that they won the chip this year and kevon looney really stepped up and james wiseman will take that role back So, sticking with the NBA, the NBA draft was two nights ago. We had the first pick in the draft, Paolo Boncaro, went to the Orlando Magic. And between him, Chad Holmgren, and Jabari Smith, there was a lot of toss-up of who could be, or what the order would be of one, two, three. And Boncaro, who wasn't, I mean, he was definitely going to be top three, wasn't expected to go number one. Maybe Holmgren or Jabari Smith would have taken that. But definitely a great pick for the Magic. And it's a great pick because he, he's NBA-ready. You knew from the start of this college season that he could play ball. My one worry with him is sometimes defensively he can look a little lazy or a little behind. But otherwise, he offensively, he's 6'10", 250, and can score with ease. I also want to talk about Chet Holmgren, what the Auburn coach said about him and why Jabari Smith was the better pick. He said that Chet Holmgren, of his body type, if he went knee-to-knee with somebody, that he'd fold in half. And that's true. Chad Holmgren is a very skinny-type player. If he could put some more muscle and weight on him, I think he'd be very, very good. And that, that leads us to our draft winners. And one of the teams is the OKC Thunder. I mean, drafting Chet at two, and then they also got Jalen Williams 
out of Santa Clara and Arkansas. The one out of Santa Clara is very good off the pick and roll, can shoot the ball really well. But, I mean, Chet, again, his body type is always going to be an issue and a concern for most NBA scouts and, and analysts, but he, he can block many shots, can shoot the ball incredibly from three at seven feet, and he kind of reminds me of Chris Dapps. I also wanted to talk about the obvious, the Detroit Pistons. They got Jaden Ivey at pick number five, who was a great pick to go along with Kate Cunningham. They also got Jalen Duran out of Memphis, who was 6'11", 250 pounds, nicknamed the man-child. He's also a very good lob threat. He, had, he averaged 12 points, 8 rebounds, and 2 blocks, and almost 60% shooting from the field. He was a great pick. But let's talk about some of the losers. And everybody starts with the Kings. I mean, but it's debatable. For me, I don't think Keegan Murray, honestly, is a terrible pick for the Kings. They have De'Aaron Fox at point guard. Having another kind of De'Aaron Fox fast guard in Jaden Ivey wouldn't necessarily be the pick for them. So adding to their front court, I think, is a great pick. And Keegan Murray, I mean, is outstanding. Let's talk about Stephen A. Smith's New York Knicks. They they entered the draft with the 11th pick and left with a second-round prospect from Duke, Trevor Keels, and without the contract of Kemba Walker. The Knicks at one point did have Jalen Duran from the trade, but then they sent him to Detroit with Walker. It's, it's such a Knicks thing to do, honestly. You look at their draft in the recent years, and it's such a Knicks thing to do to let people down. Stephen A. even said that he's not going to go to the Garden this year to watch a game. I'm sure that's not going to be true. He's going to have to cover a game, but it's just funny watching Stephen A. react and have to go through all the pain as a Knicks fan. But they're, they're trying to save up for cap space for apparently they're going after unrestricted free agent from Dallas, Jalen Brunson, who was outstanding, especially in the absence of Luka Doncic in the early rounds of the playoffs. I also want to talk about an extra from the Cavs. As being a Cavs fan, I'm really excited about They got Isaiah Mobley after taking his younger brother, Evan Mobley, who was runner-up for Rookie of the Year, which he probably should have gotten, but stuff works out. But this reunites them as they did play both at USC. So I'm really excited about that and about Ochai uh, Akabaji. I think that's a great second score for the Cavs to kind of replace Isaac, Isaac Okoro as he can be a little shaky. And Abaji's shot-creating ability is, is outstanding. He can shoot the ball, and he's lengthy at shooting guard. He's definitely a great pick for the Cavs. But I have another kind of strange story is first-round pick Jake LaRavia out of Wake Forest had his draft stock go skyrocketing overnight because he was actually listed at 22 years old when he was only 20. And in the NBA, that two years can be seen as a very big negative over two years you can't develop a player. So I thought that was kind of funny to see because he was projected towards the 45 or not even drafted area to a first-round pick. Let's move over to some NHL awards. Start with the Hart Trophy, who is the most valuable player voted by the Professional Hockey Writers Association. The finalists were Connor McDavid of the Edmonton Oilers, Austin Matthews of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and Igor Shesterkin, a goalie from New York. Austin Matthews took home this trophy. I don't know if I agree with this, 
I think Connor McDavid had an outstanding season. Him and Dreisaitl single-handedly carried that team to a Western Conference final appearance. And, I mean, Austin Matthews was great, but he didn't even make it out the second round, or the first round. But this is off regular season now that I think of it. I mean, what can I say? Congratulations, Austin Matthews. Let's talk about the Vezina Trophy, who's given to the best goalie. And this was the finalists were Jacob Markstrom of the Calgary Flames, Jose Saros of the Nashville Predators, and again, Igor Shesterkin of the New York Rangers. And no surprise here, the, probably one of the best goalies in the NHL playoffs recently, Igor Shesterkin won. He had a great end to the season, a great season overall, and that is something the New York Rangers should be very happy of. And I think his save percentage was sitting around a 9-3-something, and I think the all-time record was a 9-4-3, so he was sitting almost by that all-time record, but no surprise there for the Vesna. But the Calder given to the rookie, as voted on by the Professional Hockey's Writers Association finalists were Michael Bunting of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Trevor Zegras of the Anaheim Ducks, Mr. Michigan. He scores a lot of Michigan goals in the NHL. And Mort Sider of the Detroit Red Rings. Sider took this home. And I didn't really notice how much, how good of a year he had until I, I was watching the awards. And there's no doubt that he won it. As a defenseman, just his ability to skate, his ability to play make, his ability to score goals, assist, it, he was an incredible player for the Red Wings. Let's talk about the Norris, and some of the players are actually in the cup right now. We have finalists of Victor Hedman of the Tampa Bay Lightning, Roman Yossi of the Nashville Predators, and Kale McCarr of the Colorado Avalanche. And McCarr took home this award. A absolutely great player. I love watching him, and I really want the Avalanche to win this series. And McCarr, 23 years old, winning this. I mean, Ty is the youngest player to win this award given the best defenseman. I mean, Adam Fox won it, I believe, last year at 23. And Adam Fox now is kind of like Kale McCarr and a, a great young playmaking ability uh, defender. But again, I'm happy with this. And I'm with you. I want the Avalanche to win this. Just a little update. They're up 3-2 currently in the series going back to Tampa. But we'll see on Sunday if they can close the series out. But how about the Ted Lindsay Award given to the most outstanding player as voted by the NHL Players Association? We have the finalists of Austin Matthews again of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Roman Yossi of the National Predators, and Connor McDavid of the Edmonton Oilers. And Austin Matthews was voted for this. I think it probably should have been Connor McDavid. These award, this award and the MVP, they kind of go hand in yeah. hand. So if one wins, they probably should win the other one. That's what I was thinking. But, I mean, Connor McDavid needed to win something. I don't think he should have gone home with absolutely nothing. Uh, he went home with the Art Ross, but that's just given to the most regular season points, which he dominated, him and Dreisaitl. That's a given. That's not a voted award. Yeah. And the Selkie, given to the best defensive forward, which is kind of vague, the criteria. But Patrice Bergeron of the Boston Bruins won the Selkie. This is Bergeron's fifth time winning the Selkie, surpassing Bob Gainey, who won the trophy four times from 1977 to 1981 with the Montreal Canadiens. And, I mean, Bergeron is, I'm not going to lie, a very impressive defensive forward. And that's why he gets on the ice many minutes per game for the Bruins. 
Let's talk about the Mass Terraton Trophy, which Carey Price won, and this is given to the player who exemplifies the most perseverance, sportsmanship, and dedication to hockey. And this is probably true because the Canadians were one of the worst teams in the league this year. What a fall-off they had. I mean, they were in the Stanley Cup, what, last year? 2021 against the Lightning. Lightning. It's so strange how they went from the Cup all the way to one of the worst teams in the league. It'll be interesting to see how they bounce back. But, I mean, they got to figure out something up there. And the Lady Bing Trophy, who was given to the player who exhibited the best type of sportsmanship and gentlemanly play. Uh, This actually goes to Kyle Connor of the Winnipeg Jets, um, who was awarded this. He comes off as a player who would be very gentlemanly and has a lot of sportsmanship. Seems like a nice guy, but a very good player as well. I was thinking this is a war that Tom Wilson would never, ever be considered for. You're funny. Tom Wilson, Ryan Reeves, out of the question. It just doesn't fit them. That's not their role in their team. In the King Clancy Memorial Trophy awarded to the player who exemplifies leadership on and off the ice and makes a noteworthy humanitarian contribution in their community, P.K. Subban. Again, seems like a guy who would win this, does a lot on the ice as a leader, but as well as off the ice. He goes to children's hospitals, he holds fundraisers, he does a lot off the ice. So congratulations, P.K., and keep doing what you're doing. And this is a good hand-in-hand with the Walter Payton Award with the NFL. It's kind of about the same award. And the Jack Adams Award was given to the best head coach. This goes to Daryl Sutter of the Calgary Flames. What a job he did there up in Calgary. It's unfortunate to see them lose to Edmonton in the second round, but they did a heck of a job up in Calgary, and I, I'm not, I would not be surprised to see them continue with success. And then Mark Messier, the NHL Leadership Award, who's given to the player who exemplifies great leadership qualities to his team on and off the ice. This is, a lot of these awards kind of have the same meaning with just on and off the ice leadership and sportsmanship. But this goes to Anzi Kopitar of the Los Angeles Kings. So great to see that. I just want to say that this one's based on the input from fans, clubs, so the teams, and NHL personnel. And it's decided by Mark Messier. So there's a lot that goes into this. So they narrow it down to a few players, and then Messi chooses one. So for Kopitar to win this, it's kind of an honor. I mean, so it's by the fans and Messi, that's that's a lot. And, and to close it out, the Willie O'Ree Community Award. This is awarded to an individual who uses hockey as a platform to teach teamwork, humility, and respect and builds an inclusive community. The winner of this award was actually Noel Anton from Baltimore, local. Anton started the Tender Bridge Foundation to help at-risk kids get off the streets and involved in sports in Baltimore. Anton said that hockey becoming a part of Tender Bridge Foundation was a complete accident because he was just helping a friend's kid get their equipment on when a group of eight kids started to watch the kids play hockey. The kids then asked if they could play, and Anton said, Sure, I'll pick you up. Now, every week for the past 20 years, the foundation has had kids play hockey. Incredible. And it's, it's a great cause. I mean... Getting kids off the street and involved in sports is a great way to build a community. All right, let's move on to the College Baseball World Series, which starts today, Saturday, Saturday, June 25th. The teams competing in this are Oklahoma and Ole Miss. I think this is going to be a thriller best of three series. 
watching both of their highlights to the semifinals and watching rewatching those games over, I can tell you that Oklahoma has a lot of resilience in that team. They were going up against number five Texas A&M. They were not even given a rank top twenty-five, and look at what they did. They blew them out the water five-one. But how about Ole Miss? Well, with Ole Miss had a bit of a tougher semifinal. How they had to play two games against Arkansas due to Arkansas winning the first game three-two. But Ole Miss would answer with a two-a victory on Sunday to send themselves to the College Baseball World Series. Arkansas starting pitcher. Haken Smith pitched well, especially after giving up a home run to the bottom of the second inning. He ended up with eight strikeouts on 90 pitches and five and five innings pitched. Ole Miss couldn't find much in that first game. Watching that over, they there was many innings. They went one, two, three, and then that was again an evident thing in game two. I mean, from after the bottom of the seventh, every inning was a one, two, three inning. So Arkansas tried to make a comeback in the bottom of the seventh of that off an air, but they could not, and it, it was over. I mean, Ole Miss shut them out. So now you have two teams coming in here, one coming off a shutout and one coming off a 5-1 win. We'll see. It starts to, today. I don't actually know what time, but I'm definitely intrigued, and I'm probably going to watch some of that, if not all of it. Luca, what are your predic- predictions? I'm, I think Oklahoma's going to win it. I would not be surprised if this takes all three games, but watching Oklahoma play— if they can get starting pitcher David Sandlin on the mound again, I think it's a wrap. They, can sw- they swing the bats really well at fielding. They are very active. And, I mean, David Sandlin was incredible in that game. Pitched a total of 100 pitches, struck out 12 batters through seven innings, giving up only one run off five hits. I mean, if he's on the mound, Oklahoma got it in the bag. Yeah, and a little update for that. That starts at 7 p.m. today on ESPN. So let's move on to Title IX in sports, the 50th anniversary of the legislation celebrated on Thursday, June 23rd. And I didn't really notice how big of an impact this had on sports until I started. I saw it in a newspaper article, started researching it, and I was like, wow, this is really moving. We also learned about it in school, which was a big thing. But that's the thing. We learned about it as an educational amendment. It was built in saying that discrimination based on sex could not be done within a federally funded program or an educational like program and they took it as i mean you look at college is federally funded most secondary so middle and high school is federally funded and so that allows discrimination not to occur and there and it showed a lot of participation from female athletes the 37-word clause has changed women's sports dramatically by allowing them to even participate. Yet, according to a survey carried out by the Pew Research Center, 87% of American adults said that they gave, gave her little to nothing about the civil rights legislation. And a similar poll done, carried out by Ipsos, found that 71% of kids aged 12 to 17 know nothing to li- little to nothing about Title IX either, and so... Without this knowledge, people don't really understand the impact it has. I mean, you look at it, it was passed in 1972, and before then, I believe it was around 15% of the American athletes at the Olympics were female. So, on, oh no, it was 15% of collegiate athletes were female, a, a little under 30,000. Today, it's up to 43%, and that participation is just keeps growing. And when you talk about 
in today's world, look at the NBA bubble that happened two or three years back. The WNBA community really was mad and created a storm on social media to show the how the NBA had very good practice facilities and weight rooms compared to the WNBA ones that were much less. And that's where I think you can make the connection. And people, if you tell people that, they'll be like, oh, I see where you're coming from. Because that's a big problem, and that's one of the things that should be equalized. And another part is media coverage or sport, yeah, the game coverage. I mean, you look in 2019, female sports was only allocating 3 to 5% of the media coverage when most of that was even coming from the 2019 Women's World Cup. That doesn't happen every year. You take away that, it plummeted to about 3%. That is barely anything. So if they can get that up, that's another thing they need to work at. And then we have an interesting fact. Did you know the oldest international sport trophy, the America's Cup, which is for the sport of sailboat racing, the first time the trophy was awarded in 1851, the Americans would win the trophy for 132 consecutive years until Australia finally won in 1983. Dude, how boring would that be? Just handing the trophy? like you, They have the trophy. Give it back. Get it right back. That, for 132 years. But sailboat racing is very fun and competitive. My cousin actually does it, and it's a very fun sport. You can travel around the world. He goes to a lot of events, but sailboat racing is fun, and sailing is fun in general. My dad, well, obviously doesn't do it at the highest level, but he sail, he, he races in this, like, league, I guess it is. And weekends, he every weekend he has a race, and so he always comes back with some story about it. So it's interesting. I'm not a big sailboat guy. I'm more of a powerboat on the water. I like going fast and then going and, like, relaxing at a lunch spot. But, yeah, it's definitely a fun sport. And now let's get into our games of the week. My game of the week is Lewis Morgan and the New York Red Bulls visiting Carlos Vela and the rest of LAFC on Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern. Morgan leads his team with seven goals. Vela leads his team with six. Should be an interesting one. And then my game of the week, or games, is just the final games of the Stanley Cup. I mean, I love watching what the Lightning have been doing. I think they can probably continue. I think the Avalanche will win seven. But another note, do you see what the Lightning did for the watch party with the Oh yeah, with the like new technology? That that was interesting. And I think that's something that every team should do. Obviously when it comes to playoffs. They can't do that every single game of the eighty two game regular season, but that was interesting. And if you can, definitely tune in for those games. Those are great games to look out for. And also Watch out for this College Baseball World Series final. If you miss it, watch the highlights because it's going to be interesting. That's been Zacharine. Luca DeLosta, thank you for listening.